Hello and welcome to Writing the Coast. I'm your host, Megan Cole. Writing the Coast is the official podcast of the BC and Yukon Book Prizes. This is your destination for the conversations with the authors and illustrators whose books are nominated for the annual prizes. For this episode, I got to talk to two wonderful people about a book that is really so much more than just a book. Roy Henry Vickers and Lucky Bud have collaborated on 10 best-selling books, and as you'll hear in our conversation, have plans for many more. Their book, Voices from the Skeena, an illustrated oral history, is their latest and is nominated for the Bill Duthie Booksellers Choice Award. It's hard to know how to describe a book that blows open what a book can be. It isn't just words and images on a page, it's a multi-dimensional experience that combines oral history, the power of storytelling, and everything we love about books. In this book, Lucky and Roy build a time machine that reminds us that history is still alive and aims to rebuild our connection with the world around us. Instead of reading from the book, Roy and Lucky suggested I share with you one of Imbert Orchard's recordings, which are the foundation of Voices of the Skeena, and also their friendship. The recording that starts this episode is Chief Johnson talking about the life of the Gitsan and the Shimshian along the Skeena River. The, the Skeena is an old language. They call it Shen. Shen. And the, the meaning of that is the, the use of the cloud. Well, that, that's that's Xi'an. You know, that cloud or the fog came from the water, isn't it? Well, that fog is, is letting the water out in the fall. Well, that means... Uh, the, the juice of that cloud or, or, or a fog makes the river stronger. I've been trying to get this this shen for a long time with the olden people, you know. Some of them said different things altogether. And I, I, I don't satisfied with that. And uh, I went to another man and asked asked him What's that meaning of that Shen? Well, he, he said he said this and that, and it doesn't seem to me would be would be true. And at last, there's an old woman down here, Kit Catlett. Well, that that's the woman that explains the the name of the Shen. Because those people, they they were up this side Kitungai. They they used to live there for fall time, making an, uh, food for the winter. You know, berries and fish and all things like that. And after the, after the fall fishing for them, they they went home. So that that's that's how they know everything in in the old language up there in those times before the white men came in. They made their own traps for wood. A trap in something like uh, Martin, 
and fishers and the bear they, they use a snare to kill the bear. No no gun, no nothing. And what they do with the with the skin they they tan it and and make make coats out of it out of those martins and other other things and mountain goats. They use snares for that. And they use the meat and they use the skin too. They tan that skin of the mountain goat and use it as a blanket. And it's very, very warm blankets. Better than Hudson Bay's. <laughs> and when when the white men came in, the Hudson Bay people was the first people. And then the churches, missionary, uh, as they call it now, United Church. It's the first the first church came came to the Skinner, and then the Anglin, and then the Salvation Army. Those three. And the churches they have further up towards Smithers and, and uh, Morristown. It's all Roman Catholic. And, and from, from Hazleton this, this way is... Uh, United Church and Anglican and Salvation Army, and and besides that, there was a smallpox. I forget what year it is. When the people cleaned out on the Skinner, and there's very few people left. When I was uh, when I was a little boy. Not many young people, not many older people. Because of that, the seizures cleaned, cleaned the people out. They say the Hudson Bay taking the freight up to go to Babine. And it came so late in the fall and it, it stored in, in the store at Hazleton. Those those stuff that had to be shipped in around Babin. That's how the smallpox starts. Any of these people buying sugar because they they like that sugar at that time, you know. Not not many before. So they buy those sugar and that that's where the diseases comes and spread among the people and clean the people out. Well, that's that's the time of the Hudson Bay. They don't like to say anything about it because they, they're scared of the law. To They don't know what, what to, to do or what to say in regards to this, you know. Now they, they just kept it kept it down well I, i'll start because uh it started with me actually not the book but the whole the way lucky and i came together i grew up here in hazelton where i live now and my family moved to victoria when i was 16 and at 17 years of age i left residential school and caught up to my family in victoria 
And I was homesick, but I realized that I was not just homesick for my family, I was homesick for Hazleton and the Skeener River. So when I got to Victoria, I was kind of lost because I was with my family, but I wasn't home. And my art teacher sent me to the museum to study. And when I got to the museum, I wound up going through all of the dis old display in the, it used to be in the um, parliament buildings, houses of legislature. And as I was there, I found a book um, with an audio tape. And Lucky, what's it called again? Uh, Paddle Wheels on the Frontier. And it was a series called? Sound Heritage. Sound Heritage. <clears throat> and so I found the Sound Heritage, and I listened in my little tape recorder these uh, recordings that Lucky was just mentioning. And I could hear the people from Hazleton speaking, the people I grew up with. And so when I moved back here, I wanted to find those recordings and I couldn't. So I approached the museum and after a long time, they finally couldn't help me, but they, one young guy told me to find this man by the name of Robert Budd, who had a company called Memories to Memoirs because he used to be the What's it called? Audio preservationist. Yeah, audio preservationist for the museum. And so I phoned Lucky and here we are. Not 10 books later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and Lucky, you have a pretty amazing um, history with these recordings. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, um, back in 2000, the CBC went on an initiative to digitize all audio holdings at every provincial archive. So any CBC tape that was housed at the Manitoba archive or the Ontario archive or the British Columbia archive, for example, they wanted to have them digitized. And so um, I didn't know it at the time, but I was hired to listen to all these old recordings, some of them on sound discs, some of them on cassettes, some of them, a lot of them on reel to reel. Um, and listen to them and digitize them for the CBC. Now, I didn't know it at the time when I started, but uh, one of the largest oral history collections on the entire planet um, was recorded by this guy, Imbert Orchard, uh, from 1959 to 1966, um, talking about their experiences, you know, as British Columbia really went from a place with about 100 or so non-native people in um, 1858 to 400,000 by the First World War and all of the changes that were happening. And he interviewed everybody, men, women, First Nations, uh, settlers, tons of people. And it was my job to listen to that collection and digitize it. And I really got a story of the history of the province over the four and a half years it took me to do so that literally nobody will ever have again. I was privileged and I always say to Roy and people when I talk about it, uh, listening to these recordings was like stepping into a time machine. You put on your headphones, you close your eyes and you're in that boat with those people. And I think Roy had a very similar experience when he was listening to the tapes as well. Oh yeah, I would, 
I would walk around Victoria with the little cassette recorder to my ear, dreaming of, of Hazleton and the Skeena River where I grew up. And so when I came back here, uh, nobody knew of Inverd Archer, very few people. And all of the old people that I knew were gone. There were two people left who were 100 years old and one who died at 106, but they couldn't remember anything. And so that led me to approach Lucky and say, look, uh, I'd really like to get these, these videotapes or these audio tapes. And so Lucky and I just struck up this relationship and uh, we've been going strong ever since. It's produced numerous books from my storytellings and yeah, 10 books and, and all bestsellers. Each one of them has been a number one bestseller in BC at one time or another. And we've had a, we've been on the bestselling list since the first book. We've had a book for how many years now? Six? April of 2013. <laughs> so pretty incredible. And so this Voices from the Skeena was, we didn't realize it at the time because we're so excited about all these other books but it was bound to happen sooner or later. And so here we are looking at voices from the Skeena and it's especially um, poignant for me because I'm back on the Skeena. I, I open my window and I can hear the river outside. And sometimes my wife has heard it as well. We can hear voices. It sounds like people speaking outside. And to me, it's just the murmur of the river, but it actually sounds like human voices. So whenever I think of the title of our book, Voices from the Skeena, I think of where I live and how blessed I am to be back here. It's really such a special experience to sit down with the book because I um, I always tell people when I do these conversations that I, I don't really like read the book jackets or look too much into the books before I crack the cover. And then when I saw that there was these recordings that went along with the images, it was just such, I have, I have a radio background myself, so it was just like such this beautiful immersive experience that I think it, it was quite powerful to me to get lost in people's words and to hear the words told by people the way they wanted them to be told. I mean, was that a challenge for you to really like, you know, books have this certain format, but now you're bringing in the oral history as well. It was exciting. I mean, the way that we conceptualized this, we were actually driving on Vancouver Island on tour for our book, Peace Dancer. And we were listening to one of these recordings and we were driving up island and I think we both turned to each other at the same time and we were both like, an illustrated oral history, an illustrated oral history. It's like we both saw it, it was there. What an opportunity to create something unlike any other history book or any other art book that has ever been made where you have access to this history and then you have this audio component where you can hear it and then you've got Roy's imagery on top of that. The idea of creating something so three-dimensional was, I mean, just as exciting an idea when, when it started. Uh, I personally didn't find it a challenge. I found it to be just incredibly exciting. And then we got to work on what stories are we gonna pick, right? I mean, we just kind of started hammering away at it. It was awesome. 
Yeah, that was another question was like, how, I mean, you had so much material to go from, like, how did you, how did you pick the stories to include? Well, some of them were uh, naturals for me, uh, but Lucky had access and he had heard all of these tapes at one time or another. So he had another um, dimension or another facet of this incredible, beautiful diamond with so many different facets and how it, like even, even the title or even the thought of an illustrated oral history, like wrap our brains around that, an illustrated oral history. Like I've never heard of anything like this before. And yet when I listen to the stories, I have all of these images in my mind, including some of the men like Art Hankin, who I actually delivered newspapers to as a kid. <laughs> and to hear his voice all these years later, it was like he was right back in the in the room with me. So some of them were easy to pick out. Hey, Lucky. Oh, totally. I mean, we kind of just went on the way that we always do. If the story spoke to us, it's a slam dunk. So, you know, I would send things to Roy and be like, listen to this piece. And he would come back to me and say, yeah, that's awesome. Or he would say, hey, do you remember that story about this? And I would go on a quest and find it. and. Um, you know, we just narrowed it down to seven of our favorite stories is literally what it came down to. If, if it spoke to us, we have enough experience now with our other books to know that if it really, really turns us on, it tends to like be something that we can communicate through how we work. Other people get excited about it too. It's interesting because it seems so innovative, but at the same time, it's kind of a, a return to a way that histories were always told, which is so interesting at the same time. And I'm seeing you, Lucky, kind of like say that's it. And, and that was what was so interesting to, to me as well is like, you know, how much is lost when we don't hear someone tell their own story? Would you like to speak a little bit to that? Well, this is the synergy between me and Roy, because... I have been on a mission since the very beginning of how do we bring storytelling back into the way that we teach and tell people about history and things that have happened. So many values are always embedded in the narrative of a good story. And Roy is one of the greatest storytellers in Canada. And he comes from this brilliant oral tradition. And so the synergy of my passion for it and his passion for it is just, just, connects how do we connect as many people as possible to this old old way of communication and Roy can go off on that I'm sure a lot more than I can there are so many things that are that were happening in the background at the same time um, the Ministry of Education had brought me down to um, Vancouver to help them look at a different way to teach and I was all excited because as a First Nation, half First Nation person, I grew up with a grandfather who was an incredible storyteller and other storytellers in the village. And as an artist, I realized that all of the inspiration that has come to me has come through my ability to look at the world through those old people's eyes because I spent a lot of time with them. There, I, there was no television. There was no radio in the village when I was a child. It was all music and stories. And as I got through my artwork, I realized the way people lived here for thousands and thousands and thousands of years 
was to be have an intimate knowledge of the land and the sea and to tell stories when they come back from their adventures to whoever wants to listen and how easy is it to sit down and listen to someone telling an exciting story about how they brought home some salmon or a deer or how what the wolf did when they were out hunting or fishing and so the stories continually told help you to grow up and relate to the world around you so when you become an adult you're this hunter and this fisherman and you know what you're doing because you're living the stories and and we've lost that i've, I've seen it lost from the time i was a child till now where i go back into the village and, and there's a tv on and it doesn't get turned off even though i'm coming to visit and i think oh what, what's what's what has happened and everyone has been schooled by this whole different system so here we are illustrating an oral history and it, it's like it's like lightning it's like power it's like that that it's not just the people speaking to you it's the trees and the wind and the river and it's it's just this incredible awakening to the sounds that you that sometimes you just forget because we live in this different world so it reconnects us to the living world around us and for me to the river that i live on today and when we were putting this book together we both did a ton of archival research so that when in a particular story they're talking about this boat called the otter that came up from Victoria and landed at this place called Port Essington, which hadn't even really existed yet when the story is being told. This boat made, I think, three trips up the coast ever before that was it for it in the 1880s, early 1890s. And the fact that we were able to find a photograph of this book and then all of a sudden to watch Roy create that boat again and put color into it from the land and inform it from you know the sunset and what was happening in the trees in that time um it was like breathing life into these scenes that were all but forgotten in black and white on a slide somewhere and now we have a story about it and we have an image for it and it's got color and it's got life and the history is alive and breathing again through this project and you know i'm always reminded of this scene in the movie titanic i always say this to roy where you're underneath the water in the Titanic, and then as they bring you back into the past, you see the light on it again. That's what it felt like. You know, just even on one little image, there's so many stories between Roy and I and what we're doing and the story itself that we're taking it from and where we're drawing from that every part of this book had so much love and light thrown into it. It took us two and a half years to put this book together um, with a ton of care and attention to that sort of detail and watching it come to life and become something bigger than both of us, I know for both of us was just an unbelievable experience. Yeah, it's a, and for me, living back in the country, uh, for instance, I, I had to go into the hospital in Terrace, and I can't remember what I was there for, but I was sitting waiting to go and, and see a doctor, and this elderly man comes out and he looks over to me and I just smiled and nodded at him because that's what you do. And so he approached me and said, so uh, where are you from? I said, oh, Kit Kantla. 
said, you look like a Vickers. And I looked at him and I thought, so you know my family. Oh yeah, I, I know Clarence Vickers, are you his brother? He said, oh no, I'm his nephew. Uh, I, so I said, well, where are you from? And he said, well, my name's George and I was born in Spokeshoot. And Spokeshoot is our name for Port Essington. So Port Essington was built on the, on the fall or autumn camping grounds of the Kitkatla people. So these things are happening to me in the background and it's like we are right in the middle of where we absolutely should be doing this book because there are so many little things happening that are confirming to you that you're doing exactly what you should be doing lucky and 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 I'm lucky to be connected to lucky and and growing up where I grew up to be able to bring the the images back to life because they're still life to me I still I, I still can see the the paddle wheelers coming up the river every time I drive to Prince Rupert which is almost every month so it's like the book is a living uh, a living history for me and the thing is is that if we don't do it now then when one of the main themes of the book in one of the very first stories is about how the knowledge is being lost what is the name of that river what does that word mean it took me a long time to find that out if we don't start if roy is such an incredible resource to teach us about the names what they mean why they're there in the first place that you know if he can teach me about spoke shoes and what that means or the mountain we don't even know what that word means anymore if we don't do this work now just as these voices are fading further into the mists of time and we're trying to pull them back this knowledge is very very quickly in literally 150 years been lost i mean if this guy in 1961 doesn't know what the name of the river was his grandparents his great-grandparents they knew where has that knowledge gone we have to do this now so it was go ahead roy yeah it's so exciting um when i when i came back up here all I could remember was Imbert Orchard asking Chief Johnson, um, so what, what is the actual name of the river? I, I know they call it the Skeena, but there must be an actual name uh, in your language for the river. And you hear this old man saying, oh yeah, yeah, I've been looking a long time. I couldn't find anybody tells me the the right name for that river. Finally, this old woman from Kitkatla, she tells me, Xien, Xien. That means the juice from the clouds or cloud waters. And it was like I was sitting in my grandfather's living room and he was telling me the story. And for me, it was like, if I ever met Chief Johnson, I would actually call him, yeah because that's the way we young people address elders. They're all grandparents, not just my grandpa, but all of his friends his age. They're all my grandfathers and the women are all my grandmothers. So then I come to understand get Xien, get is people, and Xien, the, the cloud waters, 
that's the actual name for that river. And so many Gixian people who live here don't realize what their what the name of their this nation where it comes from. And here it is in this book and in and this recording by Imbert Orchard. So it's amazing that this man realized that stories were slipping away and history unwritten is is slipping into oblivion and he i need to capture some of it so for us it's especially exciting to be able to recapture what he captured and for me to have the honor of bringing these images back to life to reality that uh, are old we poured through hundreds and hundreds of black and white photographs some very poor because of the the pixelation of the images. So for me, I was fortunate because I live here and I intimately know the river because I've canoed it from Kispiox to the ocean and all the way to Victoria. And so I know the river intimately. So when they speak about the riffles and the and Devil's Elbow and the Beaver Dam, uh, I know what they're talking about because I've been there. So it's like, it's all, it's all alive. The books and that's what Orchard called it. He, Orchard called it living memory. That's what these stories are. They're living memory. And Roy talking about how all of a sudden he's transported to talking to his yaa, his grandpa, hearing this stuff. It's the same thing. It's that time machine. You know, audio, when you close your eyes, you're in it with them. You're not looking at someone who's 80 years old and empathizing. You can close your eyes. And if they're a good storyteller, you know, the knowledge just seeps on through and it's Oh my God, it's so exciting. And for, for me working with Roy on this, they talk about this spot in the river and we'll find this old photo from 1891. Who even took this picture that has existed since 1891? And Roy's like, but where is that? If we, and we get on Google Maps together just because we're in it and we'd like explore which perspective on this side of the, that must be where it was. When we change our perspective, that's where this photo was. Now we have the context to understand what it is that we're looking at. Um, we took it serious, but it was a passion, right? I mean. And it's amazing how technology like Google Earth, that one piece of Mienskinist, um, the, um, the old church that was at Mienskinist, which is the, the Gitsen name for the location that is now called Cedarville. And it means at the bottom of the mountains. And when you go there, you're, you're, the mountains are on both sides of the river and you're at the bottom of the mountains. So the, the, word, the ancient words describe accurately the places that you're at. So we were able to go onto Google Earth and work from all the perspectives of Google Earth. And I was able to look up from the mountain, then look out at the river, and then draw the church and then draw that area and then drop the church like a ghost in at the bottom of the mountains with the mountains in the background. Wasn't Amazing. that exciting? Wasn't that exciting? He's like, what are we going to do with this? I'm like, well, ghosting and oh boy, it just like, it all just comes together, you know? Uh, yeah, it's, it's been just, it's such a joy. I think that's one of my favorite images actually is the one of the church. It was just, I sat there with that in my lap for quite a while. It's just such a beautiful image. Poignant. Yeah. And where's the church now? Like it's it's poignant on so many different levels, not just from a historical perspective, as it was then, but in the context of the story and then in the context of now. Yeah. 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 
And I liked how the two of you were talking about, about this kind of living memory and living history, because I think sometimes we talk about the past as a separate entity and, and too often disconnect it from the present. And uh, I think that's such a powerful thing that the two of you have done with this book is making the past present and making those connections. It's not, you know, something that we've forgotten about. It's still very much a part of these communities and the people. Very, very much. That's the, that's the other part of this whole thing that has come together for me coming back here is I'm walking on the land of my ancestors and they are the land, but I am them. Their, their blood runs through my veins. Their DNA is part of my physical being. So their physical being is part of me, but they are the land. And so this, this concept of, well, I am the land. I can't be separated from the land because I am the land. And one day, not too long from now, even if I live for 30 more years, I will go back to the land and be part of the land. And I hope that what we're doing now helps other people connect to the land as a living entity that they are part of. It's not something, it's not a resource to be raped and pillaged and, and, and not thought about except, the, except for money because it's priceless. It, money can't even touch it. And so the other part of bringing the voices from the Skeena back to life for people in this book, I hope is to bring them to an understanding that we are connected to the earth in a very, very special way. And we should always know that and respect that knowledge. Um, and that's what a good story does. It links you to the past generations to past generations and it makes it come alive today. And that's, you know, working with, again, Roy, one of the most gifted storytellers you'll ever meet and working with these people, many of whom weren't even storytellers, they had a story to tell and they were able to, to communicate that. And when Roy and I put out um, Cloudwalker, our book in 2014, that was the mission at the time, you know, it was all about the pipeline coming through. And if we can help give kids, help them ascribe a meaning and a story to this place, they'll know why it's so important that we fight for it. And it's this, this is an extension of that. Once you understand the stories and you can ascribe meaning and character to a place, you have a lot more connection in your heart as to why it's so important to um, understand it and fight for it potentially if it comes under harm, right? You know. I'm, I'm curious if this book was, you, you've, like you said, 10 books together, um, which I can imagine your uh, relationship, your working relationship has evolved and changed to 10 books, but was this a different book to work on together compared to your other books? It was big, it was uh, pretty big. <laughs> I don't know, it's like they're all connected. It's, it's, like, it's like we're part of this jigsaw puzzle. So this is the way I think of it. When, you're, when you are standing in the strength and the truth and the beauty of who you are, then you are connected to who you're supposed to be and what you're supposed to be doing in the world. And sometimes it's like this big jigsaw puzzle 
and you know the next piece that you have to put into the puzzle because it's in your hand. So as these books have evolved, it's like we're part of a we're part of a storytelling tradition and and we are we have come together in ourselves to be able to do this and it's like it's meant to happen it's like you're part of a uh, a cog in a wheel and when the gear shifts you go I, I don't know if that explains it well but it's like you're doing what you're meant to to do so this book is connected to each book that has come before and and we're connected to the stories and they've been told some of those stories have been told for the flood, 3,000 years. Some of the stories like uh, Peace Dancer have been told year after year for over 3,000 years. <laughs> it, 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 it's, it, it's like you're connected to an infinity and you're part of this incredible thing and it's just a joy to to do what we're doing and and each step is a is a, an exciting big step that it's like it's polishing off one more facet of this incredible diamond that you are you just have the with other people and all of the teachers around you you have the ability to, to understand that this is what I have to do. This is what we have to do right now. So Lockie and I just bounce each other off each other all the time. And it's like, it's like, it's like cloud waters and we're seeds and the water falls and we start growing. And the more we grow, the more we grow, the more we produce. And you know, one day it'll be over, but until then we'll have fun doing it. Quite a lot of fun. Yeah. And, you know, we're so good at sharing each other, communicating the vision to each other, that immediately once the vision is there, this is what we're doing, then it's just a matter of putting it all together and fulfilling that vision. So once we understood what this book was and the scope of the book, um, just like any of our other books, it was a matter of now story by story, how do we serve the story? But we had an idea of what the big thing was. So we'd be like, okay, we're going to work on this story for a little while. And we would work on this one story, how many images, what are the images, we'd bounce it off. And then when it was done, it's kind of like, you put it over here, what's the next story? Which is, you know, so it's a much bigger, it was a bigger initiative because there were seven stories that we chose to use for the book. But at every step of the way, the joy of working on the story and bouncing it off each other was just like, right there, we knew exactly what we were trying to accomplish. We share such a common vision so quickly. We both see it, is really what it is. We're what very lucky to have each other. <laughs> I was gonna I was gonna say too, like it seems like this story kind of has been lingering in the background of the story of the two of you for, for so long because it's what essentially brought the two of you together too. Yeah, totally. Exactly. And it's really funny to think of it that way, in that this guy came along in 1959 to record these tapes. Roy came along in the 60s to listen to these tapes. I came along in 2000 to catalog these tapes so I could meet Roy 
in 2011 when he called me to talk about the tapes so that we could then build this thing. So this journey started in 1959. You know, I wasn't even born yet. Uh, and has, go ahead, Roy, and it's brought us all the way now to 2020. <laughs> it's pretty incredible right. to see all the pieces that have had to come together to make this thing happen. I, I, that's the other incredible thing is when I, I was nine years old when my mother and father moved from Kitkatla to Hazleton in 1955. <clears throat> so I got to meet a lot of these old people and I was always interested in the old people because they were like my grandpa. And my grandpa had these incredible stories that he would share with me and all I had to do is ask. So when I came to this country up here on the Skeena, I knew that if I went to the old people and asked them, they would open their hearts to me and they did. And so at the time, Imbert Orchard was recording here. I was living here. So I was talking to the same people he was talking to. And, and how, how could you possibly know that all of these years later, you would be connected to someone who you actually crossed paths with before you were a teenager? It's amazing. It, it, it just it continues to amaze me. And Lucky doesn't know this, but uh, there's something else that's just dawned on me. Um, my children have been after me to do this book called Ben. And they, for them, it's the most important book that they like to see done. And I wanted to do it myself without Lucky. And I've come to a standstill. So I'm telling you right now, Lucky, that we got to go to work on Ben. <laughs> I'm stoked. I'm stoked. I can't wait. I'm That's can't how wait. it works. This is how it works. This is how the next next uh, step happens. Yeah. And so I've already like talked about it with Roy a few times. I've already had a vision. He and I'll hammer it out. And next thing you know, we're going to have a, a book out next year on Ben the Sea Lion because we just said it's done. It's kind of like two 14-year-old boys getting together and be like, we can do this, we can do that. But then we actually make it happen. That's, that's the big difference. It's like, it's not just ideas. We yeah. both are very proactive. And when we get on something, it's like, it's all I want to do because yeah. it's fun. And it's all that Roy wants to do because it's fun. So yeah. It, and you have a great work. See it, like Etta James, I remember her introducing the song. Well, if I can see it, I can do it. I can see it in my mind, I can do it. And that's what Lucky and I've been like. So what do you think about this? Oh, that's a good, yeah, I, 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 can, I can see it. I can see it happening. Okay, well, let's do it. And boom, away we go. And it's like, I don't know who's holding the reins, but they must have a hard time with it sometimes. <laughs> yeah, we're pretty good at capturing the horses, though, so that they don't run off the cliff. It's like, okay, yeah, we got this. Okay, we're good. Yeah. We're good. Yeah. It's pretty fun. Yeah, you're, you, it seems like you're lucky to have found each other. You're good collaborators and a good team. Well, I just yeah, love how Roy's sister, Patricia, who, by the way, it's her birthday today, she once put it to me like this. She said, I just love hanging out with you and Roy together because you have this incredible father-son relationship, except half the time I can't tell who's the father and who's the son. <laughs> you pass it back and forth all the time. It's a pretty funny way for her to put it. <laughs> and that's what it was like with me and my grandfather. It was like... He was an old man, but there were times, many, many, many times when we were out on the boat together where there was no age difference. We were two people enjoying each other's company and 
age didn't make a difference, except that he had more stories to tell. But I had big ears to listen. That's it. And I, I listen really, really hard. I come to Roy for advice all the time, too. But uh, I listen, and I have a very good memory. So if Roy tells me a story, it's in there. So when we do projects, like, for example, Orca Chief, we didn't have an ending to that book. I remembered a story he told me from his own life about an experience out on the water with his grandpa and his uncle. And all of a sudden, it was like, here's a story from Roy's life. This is the perfect ending to this book. And it's as if that was meant to be. That's, that's the ending to the book. It was just there. And I, I had it in my memory because he had told it to me. And when we put the whole thing together, it just, everything came together. All these layers of storytelling. And, you know, if, you, if you're with someone who's in it with you, in the canoe, pulling with you, but paying attention to what you're doing, it's pretty exciting. I'm always paying attention to what he's doing. Yeah. And the other thing is we both have a love for music. And some of the greatest stories are told in songs. And so we have this other connection that's part of our, however we come together, that helps us to connect to the visions and the stories. Because we also understand music and the beat of music and the old songs that I've learned to sing from our ancestors, but also Bob Dylan and Neil Young and people like that who continually tell stories so it's like we're part of this incredible storytelling machine and it's it's like a blessing just to be part of it all it's really fun it's humbling actually it's yeah i am moved to tears many times so we try to communicate that in the books like i feel like there's so much joy and care put into the work that we do together because you know, you have to share the knowledge that you have with the world. And if I've been entrusted with these stories and Roy's been entrusted with these stories, it's our responsibility to get them to as many people as possible. And the joy we have in doing that, hopefully, is communicated in the pages. And I really wanted at the end of this book to get Roy recording some of the place names. And what do they mean? And I love the fact that we were able to do that. Roy, can you tell me the name of that place? You tell me what that means. And what's really interesting is the occasional place when he says, that's the name, but I, I, nobody even knows what that means anymore. Because then that leads to a whole other series of conversations as to why, who, when. It's like, it's, there's so many different pathways we can go down just by asking questions, right? It's a never ending song of love. That's what it is. What's it been like to share that song of love, especially up in, in the Skeena area? Oh, uh, it's um, powerful. It's powerful. It's humbling. It's exciting. It, it, it's so full of joy that it makes me cry. Roy and I did a little book tour from Rupert through to Terrace, through to Hazleton, down to Smithers in the fall. And while we were on this book tour, we both had like terrible flus. We both had like the sweats, we were not feeling well. And every time we showed up to do an event, it was like all of a sudden we were both completely healthy, full of so much light and love because everywhere we walked into, um, there was so much energy and appreciation for what we were doing. And it was nice for me to, you know, I'm, I'm from down here to be along for the ride with Roy and watching him go through these places where he grew up and these are the people and these are the scenes 
and watching him experience that through the lens of talking about it now as the elder with this book. It was, it was an, actually, it was an experience I will never forget. I'm glad I took a bunch of pictures actually. Yeah. It was very special to be in the art school where Roy came back in 1972 or 74, you know, as a student at Kassan and to be standing in that gift shop where, you know, he worked as a young man and now he's the elder talking about these stories that he was obsessed with back then. I mean, that's, that's what brought us together. Yeah. I think one of the, when you asked the question just a second ago about what's it like for me here, I wasn't here. I, your question took me instantly to Kelowna. Hmm. And I'm in the school with Lucky up on a stage. And there are, I don't know how many, we, we spoke to 6,500 students in four days? Five. Five days. 800 at a um, time. And, and the, the most incredibly powerful, um, I don't even know how to, how to call it, but after we did our storytelling, there is a question and answer period. And the kids wasn't, you didn't have to sit back and wait for someone to put their hand up. There were a thousand hands in the air. And I still see this one girl who was sitting against the wall and she had her hand up, but nobody was asking her because there were so many hands up that she was holding with her other arm, her, her, her hand against the wall until somebody finally asked the question. And for me, that was powerfully moving to see thousands of children respond to these stories that I haven't taken for granted, but they've been part of my life since I was their age. And that is a, that's a, a huge blessing. Thanks so much to Roy and Lucky for being on the podcast. It was so wonderful to talk about this book and the work you do together. The passion and excitement for the projects you produce was so contagious. If you'd like to hear more of the recordings from the book, you'll be able to find a link to Lucky's website in the description to the podcast. But I really recommend you listen to them with the book in your hands. It's an immersive and powerful experience to combine it all together. Of course, I need to thank you, our listeners, for tuning in. I know this one was a bit longer, but it was such a good one, and I hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like to find out more about the BC and Yukon Book Prizes, don't forget to check out our website, bcyukonbookprizes.com. You can also find us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Next time on the podcast, you'll hear my conversation with Bob Joseph, whose book, Indigenous Relations, Insights, Tips, and Suggestions to Make Reconciliation a Reality, is nominated for the Bill Duthie Booksellers Choice Award. Thanks for listening to Writing the Coast.